Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Will the Rays make it three in a row against the Astros tonight? Game five in Houston to determine who will face the Yankees in the American League Championship Series. And you watch big-time college football? Well, we've got it, Gator fans. Florida travels to Death Valley to play LSU in a battle between two of the top seven teams in the nation. Can the Gators make it two in a row against ranked opponents and get into the college football playoff picture? And college game day will be with the Gators, this time from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Coming off a bye week, Florida State travels to Clemson for a big ACC showdown, and South Florida hosts BYU as Charlie Strong tries to make it two in a row. We've got all that and Matt Baker, the college football writer for the Tampa Bay Times, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, uh, if you're like me, you know, it's still hot out there. My electric bill is over $300. It's way too much. If you want to save 90 to 95% on your electric bills, listen to me now. May Electric Solar. They're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar is the safest solar available. They don't use high voltage like many other companies, and May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all their labor and equipment. They have a full showroom that's open weekdays. You can see all their products. Now, May Electric Solar has been around 12 years. They've earned a great reputation with their customers and peers. There's many other solar companies that are imitating them, trying to use their great name. But remember, they do not use subcontractors, and they do not subcontract for any other company in any way. So everyone knows it has to be May all the way. Stop the insanity of these out-of-control electric bills and start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727 719-2862. If you call right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit through 2019 by changing to solar energy. Call the real May Electric at 727-819-2862. We'll get to Rick Stroud's conversation with Matt Baker that we taped Wednesday morning uh, in just a few minutes, but we're going to talk a little about the Rays and the Bucks first. The Rays, of course, Rick, by the way, is on his way to London currently, uh, flying overnight on Wednesday night. Uh, from the afternoon, he'll be there Thursday morning to cover the Bucks in London this weekend. Of course, they're facing the Carolina Panthers. 9.30 Eastern time will be the game on Sunday. And uh, a couple notes we'll get to there with the Bucks first. But first, the Rays. Another must-win game. And it's amazing we've said that four times now in the last eight days for the Rays. This team that... And I love this chip on the shoulder this team has. And and they're openly talking about it now from Matt Duffy to Kevin Kiermeyer to Blake Snell to Tommy Pham, how disrespected they have felt in this playoffs. And Houston's a great team. And they've had the most wins this season. They have a loaded roster, some tremendous players. And, and you know, we've from Altuve to George Springer, who hasn't had a great series, but a, a good player. To the pitchers, of course, Verlander in Game 1 was phenomenal. Garrett Cole in Game 2. Of course, they got to face Garrett Cole in Game 5. But how the narrative's just kind of been, Houston's going to move on. And the Rays took offense to that. And I love that. That, you know, they watch MLB Network. They watch ESPN. They watch all these entities. And and it was, you know, look, it's going to be a Yankees-Astros ALCS and move on. And that's pretty much what everyone said. It's funny, in the National League... And as I tape this currently, it's almost midnight on Wednesday night, and the Dodgers 
who were supposed to just roll through the Nationals in this series. They're tied at, in the ninth inning, 3-3, after Clayton Kershaw gives up back-to-back jacks in the eighth inning to come in, in the bullpen to come in, and he gives up to Rendon and Soto. And t- takes a 3-1 lead and makes it 3-3. They're in the top of the ninth right now as I'm taping this. And that's another winner-take-all game. But I love the fact that the race team and, – and there's so much to be said for chemistry. I think chemistry is so underrated in sports. And it doesn't mean every player gets along and every player is you know, best friends with everybody. That's not what chemistry is. But it's a group of guys willing to – sacrifice and support each other to get to a common goal. And, you know, that's what we talk a lot about veteran leadership sometimes on teams. And, you know, that's a big part of this in creating that chemistry. And the manager creates some of it, the culture part of it. But this team has a tremendous chemistry from, you name it, from, you know, last year and all this year, how many teams and and players around the league have ripped the opener strategy, which this team has fully embraced. And it's worked. I mean, it worked the other night with Diego Castillo in game four. And then, you know, five other pitchers throughout the game as they beat the Astros to force the game five. This team, I, I you know, I, I think motivation is so important. And, and granted, players are motivated and they want to win. And, and they, they've practiced their whole life to get to these type of moments. But when you get that little extra chip on your shoulder, it's amazing how that can drive and push a team, particularly one that's as tight as this Rays team seems to be. And and they talk openly about how tight they are and how much they love each other and love playing with each other. And you see that, you know, on the field. And and Willie Damas, I think, is one of the biggest ones in this, you know, as he leads the cheers and takes the helmet off the players. But they have this chip on their shoulder going in this game. But they're the ones who have been here before. This is their fourth must-win game in the last eight days. In the wild card in Oakland, they're on the road, and they go out there. But the the thing that they they did in all three of those previous games that they won, and I think it'll be crucial tonight, and maybe a little more tough to do, but they took command of the games early. If you remember in Oakland, they got off to a quick lead. Uh, game three against Houston, they gave up the, the Altuve home run in the first inning, but then Kevin Kiermaier came back, and I believe it was the second inning, had that three-run shot, and then it was you know party time at Tropicana Field the rest of the game. So they poured on 10 runs. Game four, they got off to an early lead. They can't let the game get out of hand early. And if they can get Garrett Cole to make more pitches early, much like they did Justin Verlander. Granted, Verlander didn't have his A stuff, but they were going deep into counts with him. And, and you know, after one inning, I believe he was at 32 pitches. After two innings, he was over 50 pitches. Getting Garrett Cole out of that game as soon as possible is going to be key. Because I don't think Houston's bullpen, uh, I think it was John Romano in the Tampa Bay Times writing, or maybe it was Mark Topkin. I don't remember which one it was. But the Astros have the two best pitchers in this series. The Rays may have pitchers three through nine. As Verlander and Cole are phenomenal. But I don't trust Houston's bullpen. I, they're not nearly as good as the Rays' bullpen. And, and A.J. Hinch has said going into this series that they may be facing the best bullpen in baseball. And you know, then after game four, he said the Rays' pitching is exceptional. That's how he's describing it. And so... The Rays bullpen, everyone's available. Morton is available. Snell's available. Glass now, of course, is going to start. Everyone's available in this situation. That if the Rays, you know, you can't get into a hole early. I, I think that's the biggest thing. And in what in these must-win games throughout the playoffs, they've taken command fairly early in the game. And when you have a bullpen as good as the Rays have, 
as well as Pagan and Poche and Drake. And you've got Snell now in the bullpen and Morton's available out of the bullpen. And Nick Anderson, oh my goodness, how good has he been? That may be the that may be the trade of the year. No one talked about that trade. If anything, that trade was ripped because you got rid of Ryan Stanek, who did a phenomenal job as the opener here in Tampa Bay. But for whatever reason, Ryan Stanek couldn't pitch in the back end of the bullpen. He he did great opening games. You put him in the seventh or eighth inning, and he wasn't as good. And you get Nick Anderson, who's been lights out. And you know that may be the trade of the trade deadline that no one talked about. If anything, the Rays got ripped for that trade. You take that raised bullpen. If you can get a lead or you just stay, you know, even if it's 1-1 or 2-2 or even if you're just down just a run, you stay within striking distance. And if you can get to that Houston bullpen, because I'll take the raised bullpen over Houston's any day. I, I, I love Verlander and, and, and Cole as my starters. No question about it. But I'll take the raised bullpen any day over the Astros bullpen. And so get, get an early lead or... You can't you can't let the game get away from you early. You can't make a, a mistake that leads to a couple runs. Um, if Glasnow gets into jams, he's got to minimize the impact of that. You just want to stay within. You know, you'd like to have a lead, but even if it's tied or you're run down, you're okay. You don't want to be getting two, three runs down and then chasing on the road in front of the crowd. Now the Rays have played well on the road all year, and they embrace that kind of you know let's shut this crowd up, which is what good teams on the road do. But in a winner take all game. You just you you can't let it get away. You can't do what the Braves did. If you saw on, on you know they gave up a ten run first inning to the Cardinals. That game's over. Now, you know I wouldn't expect the Rays to do that, but you don't want to give up three in the first, even two. You know you you've got to minimize that if, if you get into a jam early. And Charlie Morton's been the master at that all year. Of you know he may not have his best stuff, and he may be giving up a couple you know runners and get a run in the first, but he doesn't get put up crooked numbers very often. That's what I think the key to the game is just staying in it because as you get later in the game, if you're within a run, either way, I'm taking the Rays bullpen over the Astros bullpen. Even though the Astros lineup I like better than the Rays. But good pitching can beat good hitting in a playoff game. And, and we've seen that time and time again throughout baseball history. Good pitching will beat good hitting. And so I, I just I think, you know, how they start and how how they manage the bullpen. And, you know, Kevin Cash is not going to hesitate to pull glass now or anybody else. They would like to get five or six innings out of glass now. And with that electric stuff, you hope to. But it's going to be an extremely short leash, leash with everyone available. So you've got, I think, 12 pitchers on the roster. So everyone's available for you. There is no reason to leave him out there and, and have any issue. I mean, you know, you're going to – it's the triggers are going to be so quick in Houston. You know, it's going to be curious how much leash they'll give Garrett Cole. If he starts struggling, like, you know, I thought AJ Hinch left Verlander in too long. I think he was seriously trying to get Verlander through another inning and not have to take him out in the middle of the inning. He didn't want them serenaded like the way the, the, the Tropicana field did as he was pulled from that game. And I think he left him in too long. And, 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 you know, maybe the game kind of got away from, him, although really the turning point was when they threw Altuve out at the plate. Because then that 3-0 game becomes 3-1 with a runner on second and still only one out. So that could be 3-2, 3-3. And instead, the next half inning, Willie Damas leads off the home run, and it's 4 nothing. So you went from a game that was, for the if the Astros, at worst, worst case, only a two-run deficit at that point. And now it's a four-run deficit. And it kind of it didn't put the game out of reach, but it sure felt like it. The momentum had completely swung away from, from Houston at that point. And so... You know, the Rays have a lot of momentum, although I don't – momentum – we've talked about this in hockey a lot too. 
momentum doesn't necessarily carry over game to game. Because a, a, a really good play in the first inning or an error or a pitcher who's just a little off in the first inning can completely wipe away anything else. But what I do think the Rays have going in this game is confidence. Is you know, And I think they, they had a little bit in Houston. I mean, Verlander and Cole shoved it up their rear end. But they got to the bullpens both night. Maybe they didn't get a ton of runs, but they were getting runners on. They were, they, you were starting to show that they could hit. And so I, but and then you know you go for fourteen runs in the two games in a Tropicana Field. I think they have confidence going into Houston, and quite frankly, the pressure's off them. The pressure's on Houston's supposed to have already won this series and and be ready to host New York this weekend. They were this was supposed to be over in three games for them. And then, they, well, okay, we'll do it in four. Well, they didn't. Now it's game five. The pressure's on them. The Rays have no pressure. The Rays aren't supposed to win this game. They weren't supposed to be in a game five against the Astros, according to everybody else. So the pressure's on Houston. And that's where, you know, if you keep the game close, put the, make, them, make them feel the pressure. Make them grip those bats a little tighter. Now, they have experience where they've won the world. A lot of those players have won the World Series two years ago. So they're, not, they're no strangers to this either. So, But... What a fun time to be a Rays fan. I mean, last season, just just think about this in the last two years. Last season, going into the season, you trade Evan Longoria, you trade Corey Dickerson, you've traded Steven Souza Jr., you're tanking. And whether you thought they were just going to be a 500 team or lose, you know, win 70 games, Rick Stroud proudly proclaimed 100 losses, I was probably in the 90-loss range for that team thinking back. And they go out and win 90 games. Now, they don't make the playoffs. And, you know, unfortunately, the AL is so top and bottom heavy. There's really no middle in the American League. You're either really good or really bad. And so 90 wins couldn't get you in the playoffs last year, which was a shame. And then they make some moves like trading Jake Bowers to get Yandy Diaz. And, you know, they make some of these moves where, you, and, and, and I criticize them. They didn't get enough help in the bullpen to start the season, as far as I was concerned. And they made a lot of moves. And then Jose Alvarado doesn't pitch very well in Diego Castillo. But they come out with 96 wins and make the playoffs, win a road playoff game on the wild card because they finished a game behind o- o- Oakland, go out there and win, lose the first two games to Houston, but then come home and have two great games to Tropicana Field. We haven't seen the playoffs in Tampa Bay in six years. And this Rays team gave the town, gave Tampa Bay a treat because those were not only exciting games, but they were parties because they took control of those games and allowed the fans to enjoy that. And now we get to sit back and watch a game five. And and it's too bad it's not a Tropicana field, but still. A winner-take-all game against the best team in baseball throughout the season. They have the best record and home field advantage throughout the playoffs if they go farther. We get a chance to watch... The underdog, and they don't like that term, but the underappreciated, uh, under, you name it. They don't get the respect they deserve. Maybe they're starting to now, and and, and that's good to see. Uh, although, quite frankly, if you haven't respected them yet, you know, national media, don't. Count them out. Pick Houston to win this game. That's great. But how much fun is this going to be tonight to watch this game? Whether you're going to the watch parties I know the Rays are doing one at Sparkman Wharf in Tampa. They're doing, uh, I think, Park and Rec in St. Pete, and I think there's one other place in St. Pete as well. Or whether you're going to your favorite watering hole 
to watch the game, or you're just sitting at home and watching it. How much fun is this? You know, we, we talk. The Lightning have spoiled us over the last few years. Granted, last season was a very big disappointment in that four games in and the, the postseason was over. But the Lightning predominantly go to the postseason year after year, and they they advance a couple rounds every time. And they made the the Eastern Conference Finals three out of four years. Now I think it's what three out of six they've made it. And what is it, four out of ten seasons or whatever, nine seasons, they've made the Eastern Conference Finals. So they've spoiled us. The Bucks haven't been in the playoffs since before I got to town. I came, I moved here in 2010. So the Bucks have been long before that. And the Rays, the Rays have been through a rebuild, although, you know, kudos to the front office. They didn't tank. They rebuilt this team, rebuilt this farm system, and rebuilt this team. And, man, what, what a fun team this is. And, and what a great opportunity they have tonight. And as much as, you know, you can sit there and say Houston's lineup's better and their starter's better, based on the way the Rays can pitch, the, the Rays have every shot in the world to win this game. I, you, I can't tell you Houston's a prohibitive favorite to win this game tonight. I, I can't tell you that. I mean, if Garrett Cole pitches like he does in game two, it's going to be very tough, particularly if you get a lot of quick outs. He's pitching that well, but you can get his pitch count up and get him out of the game by the sixth inning. You're okay. But if he's going to go seven or eight innings and, and shove it up your rear end like he did game two, maybe you don't have a shot. But if you can get him out of the game, put him on the ropes a little bit, then I think the Rays have a really good shot. So we're going to talk more about that tomorrow. I can't wait for this game tonight. I, you know, It's a 7.07 start. At least it's not an 8 o'clock start. So it's our normal, normal time that we're used to watching the Rays every night. It'll be on FS1. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and if they win, they'll go to New York this weekend where the ALCS will be games one and two at 8.08 each night, Saturday and Sunday night. So, And then they would have home games at the Trop next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday if they win. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. So the Rays tonight, 7 o'clock on FS1. I can't wait to watch this. I know that you can't either. The Bucks made some news today as they're going to get they're going to get ready to go to London today. They'll have a practice today. Then they'll get on a plane and travel to London overnight. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul has been cleared to return to practice. Uh, if you remember, he was in an accident in Broward County, uh, I believe, back in May, where he hurt his neck and he has not been able to practice. He has been cleared to resume practice with the Bucks following the bye week, so the week of October twenty-first. His agent had previously told TMZ he hopes to return to the field October twenty-seventh at Tennessee. But uh, he was at practice this week. Looks to be in tremendous shape. Um, it'll be curious where he plays too. Uh, you know, Shaquille Barrett's taken over that uh, rushing, uh, uh, the edge rushing spot on the right side there. Carl Nassib's done very well. So, um, but you can't ever have enough talent on the defensive line on the field. So, or you know, in your lineup. So I, I know the Bucks are going to welcome him back. So that'll be uh, hopefully you know. The, so they play Carolina this week. They'll have the bye, and then he'll be able to practice after that. Don't know if he'll be in right away. That's his hope, of course. The Bucks also made a move. They uh, cut veteran linebacker Deion Buchanan, or Deion Buchanan. Uh, he uh, signed a $2.5 million contract in March. Of course, he had played in Todd Bowles' system before in Arizona, uh, but he hasn't seen the field very much. So uh, by releasing him before Week 9, the Bucks do receive a third-round compensatory pick in next year's draft, uh, but they still have to pay his full salary for the year. So... Dayon Buchanan has been cut uh, going into week six here against Carolina and London. They signed uh, linebacker Noah Hawkins, who was on the Bengals practice squad. He'll take his spot on the 53-man roster. Uh, they also signed running back uh, Darius Jackson and quarterback Chad Kanoff to the practice squad. They waived Tony Brooks-James and quarterback Nick Fitzgerald from the practice squad. So DeMar D D Dotson did not practice on Wednesday. 
he is not expected to play this weekend. And, of course, uh, Alex Kappa is out who broke his arm on Sunday. Josh Wells, who's expected to start at right tackle, he did not practice Wednesday. He's attending a family man, uh, matter. So James uh, Gerald Hawkins practiced at right tackle on Wednesday. So, And Indomitian Sue didn't practice with the team on Wednesday either. Uh, but I, I, I think he'll probably play this weekend. So uh, Rick will have a lot more from London on tomorrow's podcast in addition to we'll recap the Rays game. But again, Rick's traveling to London, so that's why I'm kind of filling in right now. And uh, But before he left, he had a chance to talk to Matt Baker. A big weekend of college football this weekend. There's a lot of good games this weekend. Of course, college game days in LSU, Baton Rouge, where Florida's going to take on LSU. This is the third time game day has been at a Florida game this year. Of course, Miami in week zero to start the season. They were at uh, they were at the Swamp last Saturday for the Auburn game, and now they're going to be at LSU for a night game in, in, in there where the Gators taking on LSU. Uh, so that's going to be a tremendous game. Uh, there's some big games nationally. Alabama's at Texas A&M. Of course, we know Florida State's at Clemson. Um, uh, Clemson's not as good as they have been, but I don't see them having any problems. But anyway, we'll get to Rick Stroud here. He t- talked earlier today with Matt Baker. Matt Baker joins us now, and Matt, let's talk about the Florida Gators. Of course, they have that big game in Death Valley against LSU. College game day is there. They're following around the Gators, it seems, this year. Let's talk about last week because that's what got them in this position. Um, You were there in Gainesville. I have to be honest with you, I I was very impressed with Florida. I knew that they had a good defense. They dominated that game, and Kyle Trask showed me a toughness that I hadn't seen just yet. But, man, that guy took a hit, and he he played big time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about what Trask has been through for the last couple of years. Back up in high school, we've talked about it a ton, but back up in high school, hasn't started a game since he was a freshman in high school. Back up in college, you know, injures his foot one time, then it looks like he might have a chance to kind of fight back and maybe have a chance of starting, and then hurts his foot again, and then finally he has his opportunity to be a starter, and then a couple games into it, bangs his knee up. So I think it was mm. one of those situations where, fortunately, you know, for everyone, it wasn't as bad as it looked, you know, when, when, he, when he watched it and rewatched it. Um, and to his credit, too, there, he obviously really wants to be playing. So, you know, he had a, a brace on it and a compression sleeve on it when we saw him Monday uh, during, during media availability. But he expects it to go. I expect him to go. Uh, I don't think he would miss this one uh, unless he would only have, like, one leg or something. <laughs> what, what surprised you about that game against Auburn? <laughs> Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Because we know that they've been playing very, very well on offense. Their freshman or their quarterback really struggled, I thought. But Florida's secondary was aggressive. Uh, they got pressure on the guy. I mean, if they can play that kind of defense to go with the running game and the offense that, that uh, Trask has had, this team this team could get LSU a good battle. Absolutely. So what jumped out to me was I knew this defense was good. Now I think they're really good, maybe even great. Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, Auburn, I think, with Gus Malzahn, I think he's one of the sharpest offensive minds in the game. And it's not like Auburn was putting up video game numbers uh, through the first half of the season, but they've been playing pretty darn well offensively. 
know, I, I think uh, their quarterback, Bo Nix, had gone like 118 passes without an interception uh, from, from the Oregon game on. And then the Gators picked him up, what, twice in a span of 13 passes or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, again, I knew this, this Florida defense was good, but they're even better than I thought. And they played that well on Saturday without Jabari Zuniga, one of their starting defensive ends. And the Gators expect to get him back this weekend against LSU. So if they're playing that well without a, you know, first or, or top, you know, top three, four round draft pick, how good are they going to be when they get him healthy on Saturday? Of course, uh, always a tough time to play in Death Valley, especially for a night game. Those fans will be fired up and, and probably fueled up as well a little bit on uh, on Bourbon. But um, let's talk about LSU. And, and Matt, i got to tell you, I've been watching their quarterback, Joe Burrow. Of course, he was a transfer from Ohio State a few years ago. This guy has taken it to another level. And what I mean by that is I think the NFL is going to be very interested in Burrow when this season is over. I've seen him make some NFL throws. Um, he's got poise in the pocket. And I think that's been the difference in LSU is their quarterback play this year. Absolutely. That's certainly been one of the differences. I think, to me, it kind of goes back to zoom out a little bit. It's been a complete offensive transformation with LSU. I mean, in in my lifetime, they've had a couple decent quarterbacks. Jamarcus Russell, I guess, kind of counts. But they haven't had a quarterback at this level. And their offensive philosophy is aligning with it. Because for so long, they've been ground and pound, Leonard Fournette, Darius guys, you know, run the ball and then throw the ball when you absolutely have to. I mean, you even go back to 2013, they, they had a couple of receivers I think you've heard of, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry on the yeah. same team, and they threw the ball 30% of the time <laughs> with, with two Pro Bowl, <laughs> future Pro Bowl <laughs> receivers. Yeah. I, I know, it, it, it makes your, your head spin. Um, but now it's been a, a flip. You know, their LSU is very balanced. You know, we talked about how good their passing game is and, and Joe Burrow for good reason. But they're about 50-50. I think it's 188 passes, 184 rushes on the season. So Joe Burrow's added a downfield passing element that this LSU team hasn't had in a long time. And that's a credit, really, to, to Ed Orgeron, <clears throat> excuse me, being able to not only determine, okay, I need to make some offensive changes, philosophically but the guy they hired to do it joe brady they hired him when he was 29 years old he was an assistant with the saints not a ton of people you know not exactly on a ton of people's radars but he has done a fantastic job getting joe burrow to this point and having lsu with the number one scoring offense in the country which is something i don't think i thought i would be saying yeah for sure and especially in the sec so what will florida face in lsu's defense LFC's secondary is about as good as there is in the country. I mean, Grant Delpit is this year's Derwin James. I mean, he can move right. around to a bunch of different positions, um, kind of a ball hawk, but can also rush as well. Their, their secondary is extremely talented. But on the other side, they also are top 10 in the country in uh, yards per, per rush allowed. So this is a very, very good defense that doesn't have a ton of weaknesses. I think their their front seven is a little bit shakier than their their secondary is so to me if florida's going to have a chance of winning this game their run game is going to have to show up and it hasn't been great this year let's be honest there's been a couple big plays you know josh hammond had the kind of jet sweep thing uh, for a touchdown that sealed it against kentucky well michael p ryan obviously had an 88 yard uh, against auburn that that clinched it that was the longest touchdown run since some emmett smith guy did it um so they've made a couple big plays but consistently they're getting stopped too often. They're, they're not being able to get five and, and four and six yards. They're getting too many two and three yard rushes. So if, 
if the Gators are going to have a chance to win, I think they're going to have to run the ball, which they haven't been able to do much this year. You know, uh, Matt, there's some good teams across the country. Obviously, Ohio State is very, very good. Oklahoma's done some nice things. Clemson maybe falling off a bit, at least uh, from from the poll standpoint. Having said all that, I, I still don't see better football being played anywhere but the SEC. I mean, the winner of this game is going to be in a great position. But even if Florida were to lose this game on the road to a ranked opponent, they still have Georgia. So what would be their prospects going forward? Do you see – the potential, at least, for even a one-loss SEC team to get into the playoff picture. Absolutely. A one-loss SEC team, I, I think, will be in. I mean, the, the Pac-12, they're, they're, top to bottom, they don't have a lot of great teams. They've got a lot of decent teams. So I say that to say, I think the Pac-12 at this point has probably knocked itself out of the discussion. Mm. There's There are some scenarios, but I think, by and large, they're out. So then you look... Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, ACC, and Clemson, if they don't go undefeated, they could find themselves on the outside looking in. So there's definitely a, a path for a one-loss SEC champion. You know, it, if Florida does lose to LSU, let's say that happens, if they beat Georgia in the cocktail party in a couple weeks, mm. Florida's still going to win the SEC East, and then they're yep. either going to play Auburn, maybe a rematch with LSU, maybe Alabama, whoever it is, a top-10 caliber team in Atlanta for the SEC championship if they win that with their schedule, I would think they'd be in. But but here's yeah. kind of the wild card with this, just to go down this rabbit hole a little bit more, Rick. Florida's played two FCS teams. There hasn't been, in the playoff era, there hasn't been a team in the mix that has played two FCS teams, um, the, the 1AA guys. I don't know how much that matters, because again, if you beat Auburn, you beat Georgia, you beat LSU, whoever sure, it is, sure. plus, plus Missouri and some of the other guys, I would think that would be enough. Um, it, it would help uh, Florida if the Knowles and Kane started playing well to make those uh, wins be, be better in this scenario. But the, the fact that there are two FCS games on the schedule, that's kind of a weird wild card that I don't know yet how that's going to work out. Okay, Matt, Florida State off a of bye week there at Clemson. Um, you wrote an interesting story. I, I, this might just be Dabo crying poor mouth or whatever, but somehow he thinks that Florida State has out-recruited him the last five years. I think to some degree he's right. Um, when you look at the the just the raw numbers on on the two four seven and what have you, I think that's a little bit misleading for a couple reasons. The last couple classes, Clemson has done better than FSU, and the other thing is again just looking at the raw numbers, Clemson doesn't take a lot of recruits. They're they're set up where they're they're they don't have to plug as many holes as some of the other programs do year in year out. So their classes are typically smaller. But if you just look at kind of the raw talent. You know, the player averages, Clemson's about as good as any in the country. Um, I, I do think, to some degree, that will play a role on Saturday. Um, obviously, it should play a role on the field because you would think they'd be comparably talented teams should lead to a close game. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think it's going to be a situation where if Clemson has a chance to run away with it, and I expect them to be able to do so, I wouldn't be surprised to see Dabo did what he last what he did last year in Tallahassee, which is kind of stick it to him and run up the score just to make sure every recruit who's thinking about these two programs is watching sees exactly where Clemson is compared to FSU at this point. And some people think that I mean Clemson didn't have obviously some of the greatest performances so far this year, but could they could they remind people of how powerful they can be with a good game uh, against Florida State? Yes, and that's frankly what I expect to happen, Rick. I mean, Clemson is very, very talented. You know, Trevor Lawrence is as talented a quarterback as there's been in a while. Travis Etienne, 
explosive running back, great receivers they have, and, and a bunch of dudes on defense too. So Clemson is really, really good. They haven't put it together yet. But here's what here's the scenario. They barely beat North Carolina. They fell in the polls. They're definitely on the nobody respects us. We're on the all y'all bus, whatever Dabo says these days. <laughs> and they're coming off of a bye where they've had or an open date where they've had an extra week to be ticked off about how they feel disrespected as the defending national champions. So I think you put all that stuff together. Uh, this one could get ugly. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. Uh, USF, I guess Charlie Strong kept the uh, hounds at bay a little bit with his win at always tough UConn, but now he faces a BYU <laughs> team uh, that's going to be without their quarterback. The sophomore quarterback, Zach Wilson is out, but BYU I got to give them credit, man. They didn't back down when it comes to scheduling people. They opened the season with uh, uh, with Utah, Tennessee, USC, and Washington. Uh, and then, of course, they, they, they played Toledo. So um, I, I think this BYU team is pretty strong. And, and let me tell you, this is, this is going to be a tough, tough game for USF, I believe. I want to back up a second because I, I want to give you props for saying always tough UConn with a straight face. So well, that was that was tongue firmly planted in cheek. I mean, they're, they're I the only know. ones that have lost more Power Five schools to, uh, than anybody in the nation. I think was it nineteen in a row or something like that. Yeah, yeah, against FBS teams. Yeah, UConn's just awful. FBS, um, so yeah, I don't. FBS, yeah. yeah, yeah, I can't take anything away from the USF UConn game other than USF did what it was supposed to. So hey, good sure. good on you for that. Um, you're, you're right, though, about BYU. They're a fascinating program because they're doing the independent thing. They don't have, like, the traditional rivalries and set games that Notre Dame has. So they're trying to kind of hodgepodge together a schedule. And, and to their credit, like you said, Utah in the Holy War, at Tennessee, USC, Washington, Toledo, which year in, year out, is one of the better uh, group of five schools in the country. They got Boise later. So um, they, they are indeed tested, and they're going to be tested. But... Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about them without their quarterback, Zach Wilson. I mean, <laughs> I think Richard Johnson from uh, the Banner Society coined the phrase the Mormon Manziel to, to describe him because of the way he could <laughs> scramble and, and kind of just chuck up throws that you think nobody should throw and it'll end up working out. Um, so BYU's uh, down, you know, they're going to be without him. Um, but this is this is huge for, for Charlie and USF because BYU is still a name. Um, yes, the, the Bulls beat. Uh, UConn, but UConn is awful. So they they need to start kind of piling together some wins to show that the ship is going in the right direction, if it's still possible to do that at this point. Could you glean anything from the way they were trying to play? I know they had some lineup changes, but what do you think Charlie's trying to get back to? Is it a strong running game? Um, what, what do you think they were attempting to do? Yeah, I think running game is part of it. But again, we have to remember, too, that they, they were without, you know, Johnny Ford. They're, they're a skilled slot receiver that they were expecting a lot from. And then at, at quarterbacks, you know, uh, Blake Barnett didn't even travel. So I think they're just trying to figure out something that they can do well, something to kind of hang their hat on. This is an identity. This is who we are. And I still think, you know, where, where we are halfway through the season, the Bulls are still kind of trying to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, UCF, uh, they got two losses now, I guess. That makes Cincinnati Bearcats the mythical national champions. Um, but Cincinnati uh, did a really good job. Of course, their only loss to, is to Ohio State, which was impressive, 45 to nothing. But let me ask you about UCF. I mean, it just seems like they're not quite, uh, quite the team they were on defense, maybe. Um, you see some flashes. You see some speed. But um, this, this is a, a little bit of a step back for UCF this year. 
and it's you're right, and I think it's it's frankly what I expected. You know, you mm-hmm. you, you don't programs like UCF, and to some degree, I guess I guess Boise is kind of the exception, where, where Boise continues to roll year in year out. It seems like no matter who's playing quarterback, no matter who's coaching, Boise is going to be one of the best in the group of five. Um, but there aren't a lot of other programs like that. You're going to take step back steps back. Um, I think some of it's because the AAC is by and large pretty balanced. Teams move up and down easily. I mean, SMU didn't look great a couple of years ago, and now they're they're nationally ranked. You know, we know where USF was a couple of years ago, and we know where USF is now. So you're going to have some of that kind of ebb and flow. And I think you know, UCF's obviously without Mackenzie Milton, uh, who is still recovering from the horrible leg injury. You don't lose a an elite all time great player at your program and stay the same or get better. That just doesn't happen very often. Um, so I think some of it was just a natural regression to the mean, and some of it is, look, Cincinnati is a good team. Uh, I thought they were going to be one of the top group of five teams in the country to start the year. The Ohio State game kind of turned me off a little bit, but here we are at midway through the season. I think that now means the Buckeyes are really, really, really good, and that was honestly one of the reasons why I put Ohio State number one on my ballot and my AP poll this week, because I saw what... Uh, the Buckeyes did to Cincinnati, then what I, I saw what Cincinnati did to, to UCF, uh, I think that was just a testament to Ohio State being the best team in the country, not uh, not Cincinnati being down. Yeah, and no, I, would, I would agree with that. There's some interesting uh, games around the nation uh, this week. Of course, uh, you get what, the Red River rivalry, Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma's been rolling. Any chance that Texas can slow them down? I don't know that they're going to slow them down a ton, but I think this definitely is going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be like a 45-38 kind of game. The, the one thing I'll say about Texas, though, th- again, they've played a tough schedule so far. You know, they, they hosted LSU and hung in there with the Tigers until the very end. Oklahoma hasn't played a ton of, of really good teams yet. I think their, their best one, I think, is probably Texas Tech. Um, and Tom Herman, for all of his, you know, the, the hoopla around him and everywhere he's been, he hasn't done great when he's been expected to win. You know, they've had some kind of Iowa State games where they maybe they, they didn't do it as well as they should have. But when Tom Herman's an underdog throughout his career, he's found ways to either win or, or get his team amped up and play better than they should. I'm thinking back to the Peach Bowl against Florida State a couple of years ago as the prime example when he was at Houston. So I, I think that the line I saw was something like 11 or something like that. I, I don't know that I'm going to pick Texas outright. But I definitely think they're going to be tighter than that just because of how Herman has his guys ready to play in these situations. It's always a great rivalry. Alabama plays Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. Um, look, Jimbo, you can't, his schedule's been brutal. Um, this is just another test for, uh, for the Aggies. Yeah, I, I was, you know, the Jimbo, the fight in Jimbo's barely beat Arkansas a couple weeks ago. And at that point, I was like, all right, I, I'm, not, I'm not buying these guys. Uh, A&M's a, a year or two away from being able to compete with the Bamas. And here's the, sure. the staff that we have to mention at this point. Uh, Nick Saban has never lost still to one of his former assistants. Not Kirby, mm-hmm. not Jimbo, not McElwain, uh, not, I think, Mark D'Antonio. You know, it's still never happened, and I don't think it's going to happen this week either. And not yet Lane Kiffin, because they haven't played. Um, <laughs> Penn, Penn State Penn State plays Iowa. Always impressed with Kirk France and his Iowa Hawkeyes, uh, but but Penn State, man, I'll tell you, they, they might they might scare some people in the Big Ten before this is all said and done. 
Yeah, Penn State's got a great defense right now. Um, there, there's a lot. There's a good amount of talent there. They've been able to kind of, you know, they, they mucked up the win against Pitt in a, a really ugly game. Um, so to me, and Iowa, of course, is known for their defense as, as they always are. So this has like thirteen to six, <laughs> right. Big Ten nineteen sixty three style play written all over it. I, I like the I like the Nittany lines there, but I think this is going to be an ugly one. Hopefully, a little bit more entertaining than. The, was it thrilling ten to three Michigan Iowa game oh last week? I'm glad <laughs> you mentioned. Painful, I'm glad it? you mentioned them because I'm telling you, you know, if Jim Harbaugh goes backward any further, um, he'll be going to San Diego, and I mean the University of San Diego to coach soon. I, I just I can't understand how an offensive coach. I know he's turned it over um, the offensive coordinator uh, in the play calling, but my goodness, that was hard to watch. Um, and Michigan State now, who plays that style anyway, they're uh, they're at Wisconsin. I don't I don't think that Wisconsin's going to take a step back. But um, you know, right now they look to be outside of Ohio State, maybe the best team in the Big Ten. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, Wisconsin has just dominated everybody they, they've played, including uh, including Michigan. I mean, they've got what is it three shutouts in, in their five games. I don't care who you're playing. That's really, really hard to do. Um, so mm-hmm. Wisconsin, to me, I think they've been probably the biggest surprise across the country. Um, wh- where they are right now, I think they're absolutely in the college football playoff conversation. You know, they're t- w- clearly one of the top eight teams in the country. They don't have the talent that a, a Georgia does or a Bama does, but right now the results are there. And if they continue doing this, they will have a chance to to obviously play in the the Big Ten championship with a chance to maybe knock off an Ohio State and find a way to get in the playoff. I got the great uh, Heisman Trophy candidate, of course, uh, Jonathan Taylor. So um, that's something as well. Is Jim Leonard, by the way, does Jim Leonard, their defensive coordinator, is he getting a lot of mention for I would think big time college football jobs? I, I think if he wants it, I think he could yeah. absolutely be a. Uh, a, a group of five head coaching candidate, if you know of any schools that might be in the market for one hmm. coming up soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think just what, what he's done, and when you look at what some of the other Wisconsin assistants have done over the years, I mean, Justin Wilcox Pretty. is doing a fantastic job right now at Cal after you know, kind good, of a similar yeah. move. So I, I think mm-hmm. he would ab- absolutely be a guy that's in the mix to, to move up either to an even bigger defensive coordinator job with a bigger payday, or if he wanted to go the head coaching route, maybe that would be an option too. Well, it's going to be a great week of college football. Matt Baker has it all for you on TampaBay.com. You guys still doing predictions? What do you think about the Gators and LSU? Yeah, I I think uh, it's it's such an interesting matchup because it's good on good all over the place. The strength of Florida is their defense, particularly in the red zone where they have the top red zone defense in the country. LSU is the highest scoring team in the country with the top red zone offense in the country. Then on the other side of the ball, the Gators' strength offensively is their skill guys, particularly the, the receivers. They've got, I think it's six pass catchers with between 160 and 290 receiving yards. And the strength of LSU is that really talented secondary. So I don't know that those are going to be uh, pushed. So like I said earlier, I think it's all going to be about the, the run game. And I don't think the Gators are going to be able to, to run the ball well enough to win. So I, I think LSU wins in a, like a 28-21 kind of game. It's a plus I saw it was about a two touchdown spread. That that doesn't seem right to me, but I, I think LSU by a, by a touchdown feels about right. All right. It's going to be a great game either way. Thanks, Matt. We'll talk to you next week. We appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, Rick.
Well, I can't wait to watch all those college football games this weekend. I'm a big college football fan myself, so it's going to be great. But first, tonight, 7 o'clock, FS1, Rays-Astros, winner take all. Granted, the, the Rays have been in elimination games already three times the last eight days, as we've talked about. But Rays tonight. It'll be Tyler Glass now going against Garrett Cole. And, of course, all 11 pitchers on the, the roster are available for the race. So Charlie Morton could get in this game. Blake Snell again could get in anytime during the, the game, or maybe he closes it out again. If you remember, Charlie Morton closed out the World Series Game 7 a couple seasons ago for the Astros. So it'll, it's going to be a fun game tonight. Sit back, enjoy this. Uh, these type of things don't happen very often. And an improbable comeback by the Rays. A lot of people saying impossible or unbelievable. I think the Rays believed it all along. I don't know if anybody else did outside of Tampa Bay, but maybe an improbable comeback against the Astros, who were the best team in baseball all season. You get to take a game five. There was two of them on Wednesday. The Braves got crushed by the Cardinals in a 10-run first inning, so the Cardinals advance. I'm still taping this in the Nationals and Dodgers are now in extra innings in game five. So winner take all game there after Clayton Kershaw gave up back-to-back jacks in the eighth inning to, to give the Nationals to tie that game. So uh, that game not decided yet, but game five, it's the only game on again. This one to go to the ALCS to face the Yankees this weekend. Enjoy the game, everyone. For Rick Stroud, I'm Steve Versnick. Have a great Thursday. 